Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message.
Last week, um, we started a new series called The Pursuit of Joy, because I believe that joy is one of those missing ingredients in our world, in our families, and I think for many individuals as well today. Particularly, I believe that biblical joy is a divine weapon to strengthen us, fight the enemy of our souls. Now, we talked about the fact that happiness is an emotional state that's based on external circumstances. And it goes without saying then that as soon as those external circumstances that make us happy sort of wane and disappear, then our level of happiness can also drastically decrease because of that. Now, since there are only so many, really, pleasant circumstances that one uh, can experience in order to feel that sense of happiness that we all want to have, when those circumstances, those times, those good times are exhausted, what do we do then? What's next? All good times and all fun experiences, as the saying goes, all good things come to an end. But when you look at the past two and a half years that we have lived in our lives, in our country, and really around the world, there have been so many unpleasant circumstances and things that we have lived that in so many ways have depleted our joy tanks, have depleted uh, our experiences that have brought us joy. And so we've experienced a variety of emotions outside of what we would call joy. It's more like being discouraged and, and, and so on and so forth. And those have been triggers for us to actually 
see a decline of joy in our lives just because all those circumstances that we went through were those trigger points. Last week I talked about what true joy truly is and what joy is not from a biblical point of view. The goal was to establish a biblical foundation for joy as well as understanding that we should not base our joy on only the happy times and the joyous times. And by the way, we can experience happy times and joyous times. It is not wrong (laughs) to have a good time. But that's not the only thing. A.W. Tozer coined the phrase, I talk back to the devil. How many of you have read that book? It is a great book. You should read it if you haven't. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, we know that the devil's purpose and his schemes are to what? Steal and, help me out, kill and destroy, right? That's what he wants to do. And for many, joy has been stolen, hope has been destroyed, and we're kind of like left wondering what's next. So today, and what we did last week, and what we're going to do today and next week. My hope is that we learn to say, I respond to the devil's attacks with joy. That we make a similar statement to what A.W. Tozer said. Because the devil can't stand a believer that is full of what I call biblical joy. Not just joy, but biblical joy. I told you last week that joy is defined much the same way as happiness. It's just based on external circumstances. But we want what we call biblical joy. The devil is banking on weakening us, leaving us alone, depressed, discouraged, disillusioned. But I declare today for each and every one of us and for our church family that joy will be our portion and that we will use this powerful truth that is written in the pages of God's Word in this book right here to fight the devil's schemes and his plans for us not out of our human strength and wisdom but with a biblical joy that will exceed plans to make us happy. Now, in James chapter 1, we're going to turn that in a minute, but uh, James chapter 1 and verses 2 and 4, you can start getting that ready for you. We all go through, I believe, discouraging times and trials. I think that it's it's a common thing, and we can all admit that hard times are something that we all experience at one point or another discouragement in so many ways can literally suck the joy out of us, out of our lives. Now, I know that we all love the Lord. Don't you love the Lord? We all love the Lord, right? But we simply cannot dismiss the realities of trials and struggles and difficulties simply by making some super spiritual statement. Something like, you know, uh, we say, well, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to make it through the other side. And, and, you know, God is with me. Who can be against me? And I shall never be defeated. You know, things like that, that we make these spiritually charged one-liners that we make, right? The fact of the matter is that pat answers in some way, sometimes, are literally an escape from the reality of what we're going through. Because we don't want to be in that situation. And so we try to encourage ourselves. Oh, like, well, I'm going to make it through. And that's not necessarily bad. Now, remember the quote that I mentioned last week from... uh, Billy Sunday. He said, if you have no joy, there's what? You remember? There's a leak. If you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Of course, if you're like with me, you're probably thinking, "Mm, I've experienced times when I had no joy. And you're probably starting to think now, hmm, 
Where is the leak in my life? Where am I losing joy and where is that coming from? It can be a hard reality in some ways to face to the truth that, yeah, there's something in us or maybe we're giving in to an area that we should not give in to that is causing us to lose our joy, that is causing us to be discouraged and disappointed about life. But the truth is that God <clears throat> is looking for us today to look at ourselves and say, David, where is that in your life? Where's that leak? Where's that weakness? Where is that issue that you're facing, that trial, that circumstance that you're going through that is literally draining the joy out of you? <clears throat> and so we're going to read James verses one, uh, verses 2 to 4, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. And this is a, a powerful, powerful scripture. It says this, Consider it pure joy, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. Wow. Paul is saying, consider trials pure joy. And everybody said, give me a break. <clears throat> Honestly, this is a scripture that as I'm, I've read this so many, many times. And I have wondered to myself, what in the world is this? scripture actually saying i promise you by the end of today you'll understand what paul meant when he said consider it pure joy is it even possible to experience pure joy how in the world can you experience pure joy when you are going through difficult times difficult seasons of your life when you're experiencing sickness or uh, a loss of a job and, and you're left financially, uh, you know, at the end of your ropes. How do you experience joy when things around you are just not the way that they, quote, unquote, should be? How do you get to that point? Now, let me break down this sentence. Consider it pure joy. Now, the word consider in the Greek is more than just a passing thought. I think that we think of consider as like, give us some thought, right? It's not just a passing thought, something that you think of momentarily. It is, it actually means giving it first priority in your mind. It means leading the way and carrying important responsibility. What does it all mean? Well, I'm getting there. Consider pure joy. Give it first priority in your mind. Now, the word pure is actually better translated in, from the Hebrew to the English language as in all, but not just all as in a whole, but it's all in every single part of what makes it a whole. You, you follow what I'm saying? Is that all right? Are you guys with me? So it's not just the whole experience, but every single part that makes it a whole. Pure. And then the word joy, this is one that gets me. <laughs> it literally means cheerful and calm delight. It sounds like a chocolate bar. And I would take five of those right now. So Paul, what he's really saying in this verse, I'm going to rephrase it for you, just that first part. What he is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is this. 
maintain a calm but cheerful attitude as you face each situation that brings you face to face with a trial that you must go through. Does that make a little bit more sense? Right? It's not like, oh, just jump up and down when you're going through, through a difficult time. That's not what Paul is saying. You have got to take it into context. And so, again, what he's saying is like, maintain a calm and a cheerful attitude as you face each situation that you're going through, through uh, that trial that you're facing. Right? Because you are going to have to face it in order to get through it to the other side. And I think that all of us want to get through to the other side. We don't want to bask and live in a time of trial and trouble and, and, and difficulty for the rest of our lives. And so we need to learn to arm ourselves with what is needed in order to get to the other side. That's why Paul is saying, consider a joy. There's something in there, something in there for you. For example, if you're going through a financial difficulty in your life, face the situation. Denial is not going to help you. Going and spending money on your credit card is not going to help you. So face up to it. Trust God. He knows best. Take each step with joyful gratitude. You're saying, what do I do in the midst of this? I'm like, I, I'm like at the end, my bank account is dried up. How am I going to pay? You know what? Look at it piece by piece. That's why Paul is saying it's pure, means all, not as a whole. Sometimes we look at the situation in front of us and it's like Mount Everest. And we're like, how are we, how am I going to get over to the other side? Because you know what? We need to start breaking it down to little steps that we need to take. And so while you're out of a job, well, then look for a job. Let's pray together, agree together, do things that will bring you into a place where you become a victor and not a victim. Philippians 4 and verse 6. These are not scriptures that I gave you. So I'm just going to quickly quote them. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. God is concerned. So if you present your requests to God and not talk to the whole world about your difficulty, I thank you, you'll probably get better results. Don't be anxious, but pray. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I want you to know that God cares for you. He cares for every little difficulty that you may be facing even right now. He cares for you. So don't cast your anxieties on other people. We are sometimes a little too much when it comes to our own struggles, right? We talk a little too much. I'm like that. My wife is my safeguard, and sometimes, you know, she'll need to remind me. Like, David, talk less about it. Let's just pray more about it. I'm just telling you, I struggle with it. I struggle with it. Do you struggle with it? Okay, I see that there's at least two people here. Thank you for your honesty. There's three of us, guys. That's great. But we struggle with that because we just want to make it known. And then Isaiah 26 and 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Wow. Isn't that a beautiful promise? That if we trust in God in the midst of like the turmoil and the struggles that we're going through, that he is going to give us peace? I want God's peace for my life. I don't want to face difficulty after difficulty feeling like I want to be like Spider-Man, climb the walls and and the ceilings, like get me away from the situation. You know, it's like I've had it. I'm done. I'm done. I've faced situations in my life where I literally was like, I'm so done with this. I need an answer, God. And I know that all of us go through difficulties and situations like that. If joy 
is in fact an expression that's based on our position in Christ, as I said last week. Remember that we talked about the fact that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ, Ephesians 2 and 6. Then we must look at our circumstances from a heavenly perspective. Not try to get out of facing the trial that we're going through, running away because we hate discomfort. For us, it's all about self-preservation. We don't like to go through it. We don't like to face difficulties. Look, I want to be sensitive this morning, right? Because there are circumstances sometimes that are way beyond our issues of life, personal stuff. And I'm going to talk a little bit in a moment that will clarify why I'm saying what I'm saying. Because there are real issues that we go through, that you go through. Probably right now you're going through a tough situation and you don't know how in the world you're going to get out of it. But God knows. God knows. But nevertheless, nevertheless, we go for self-preservation in our lives. Yet God is looking for people who will walk by faith and not by sight. It takes no faith to escape trials, to not face the situations. It takes no courage to just stay by the wayside or take a step backward and let the thing play out and not step into the issue. It takes no faith to escape. It takes faith to face it head on. Having joined the middle of trials is not denying the trial. It's trusting God has got us. I'm going to say that again. Having joy in the middle of trials is not denying the trial. Oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm having a, a grand old time. Woo-hoo. It's not the denial. It's literally trusting that God's got me. God's got it covered. Because he's got a pretty good track record pretty good track record and he has proven himself time and time and time and time again whether we face personal struggles whether we go through family issues whether we face financial difficulties or marital struggles or even and now very prevalent cultural and societal struggles and difficulties and trials. God wants to be your source. He wants to be my source. And more than that, He wants to be a resource for us. That means that we don't trust Him just once, but we go back to Him because He has got everything that we need, everything that you need, every question that you have not yet found the answer for. God has it in Him. All we have to do is trust him. You say, all you got to do is trust him? I've trusted him. I tried. It doesn't work. Be patient. We want things to happen. The snap of a finger. We are impatient because God is working something in us. And we're going to look at that verse a little bit deeper. We're going to sink in a, a bit deeper into that. Now, let me also say that we mistakenly interpret temptations and trials. Temptations, according to the Word of God, must be resisted. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. Right? So we have to resist temptation. But trials are different. Trials are something that you have to face head on. You can't resist the trial. You follow what I'm saying? Let me go a little more deeper than that. Temptations can be the outcome of a sinful or sometimes foolish choices that we make. If you struggle with alcohol, you don't go and hang out at a bar with friends. That's just a foolish move. And there's a lot of examples that I can give. But you get the gist, right? So temptations can be the outcome of our choices. 
because we make them to ourselves and we do it to ourselves. But trials instead come from external circumstances, outside of what, who we are and the choices that we make. They come from outside. Let me give you a classic example of that. In Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12, King David cried out to God and he said, creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit and sustain me, to sustain me. Now, David prayed this prayer of repentance. Why? Why did he do that? He prayed this prayer because of sinful and wrong decisions that David made. First of all, he exercised his kingly authority to call upon Bathsheba to be with him. And I don't mean having a cup of coffee. Then he schemed how to get rid of Bathsheba's wife, Uriah the Hittite. And he did that very well. In fact, he did it so cunningly that he just sent him to war and told his generals, put him right in front of the wall where you take all the arrows and the spears and all that stuff. You get the point. He basically sent him to his death. And then... Once he got the opposition out of the way, so he thought, he had to face probably the most bitter of difficulties because after the child was born, the child that he and Bathsheba had, the boy died. He quickly realized it. Spoke to the prophet Nathan, and that's when it just... Revelation, what have I done? Creating me a clean heart, O oh God. A pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. That's why he prayed that prayer. Restore the joy of your salvation. David had lost his joy. David had lost the zest and the excitement for life because he chose under those circumstances to live independent of God. God was not his priority in those decisions that he made. He made those decisions completely on his own because he wanted to have some fun. And that is why happiness is dangerous and we need to have biblical joy. Because if we're looking just for a good old time, you can find that anywhere. But we need the joy that God can give. <clears throat> I want to show you one more thing from this verse. In uh, James 1 and 2 to 4, when it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever we face trials of many kinds of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish work its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything now the word trial is a very important word in the original language it's actually better translated temptation or test depending on the context that you're going through. Now, in the context of these verses, what Paul was saying is that whenever you face trials, it's actually referring to fidelity, integrity, virtue, and constance and consistency. And so when you look at that verse with that understanding, it becomes clearer that you read that what Paul is saying is that these trials of many kinds, are actually testing your faith to see if there's any perseverance there. God is basically saying, I'm testing your fidelity. I'm testing your integrity. I'm testing your virtues. I'm testing your faith. Will you respond? 
Because that's the only time that we can actually say that perseverance will finish its work in us. When we go through those trials and our faith is tested and our integrity is tested and all of the others are tested, that's when you can actually say, I am now mature and complete. You've gotten to the other side. God has worked his perseverance in your life. As you hung in there, you did not escape. You did not give up on the fight. You stayed in there. You sank your feet in the sand and said, I am not going to move out of this. I am going to face the situation head on with God by my side. I am not giving up. I am not defeated. I'm going to get to the other side with God. That is what this verse is saying. God is working perseverance in us. But before he does that, before we experience perseverance, before we become mature, not lacking anything, we have got to be tested. And God is going to test your integrity. And he's going to test my integrity. And he's going to test my virtues. And he's going to test so many other things that I go through in life because he is looking to see if I am going to make him the source and resource of my life. Jesus, help us. You know, I personally discovered <clears throat> that it is a lot easier to not go through the, these trials and these difficulties. I'm like, ah, probably I should just like run and hide. And then I tried with God. And it's not that the trials disappeared. It's just that the strength that he gave me and the wisdom that comes from God became more of a reality than the struggle. It puts it into perspective. We're seeing issues, struggles, trials that we face from a heavenly perspective rather than from a human, God help me, what am I going to do kind of a mindset. I want to go with God. Don't you? I want to do it with God. Yeah. Yes. Maybe today you're thinking about issues that you're going through. Let God take you through. I want to say one more thing. My focus is the object of my joy. Look at what Hebrews says in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy, there's that word again, set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and set at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him <clears throat> who endured such a position from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. <clears throat> I want to ask you a question. What are you worried about today? What consumes your thoughts and drives your actions? Think about it for a moment. Because whatever that is, is what you're putting your focus on. And whatever you put your focus on will drive your priorities and your actions. We just read the verse, didn't we? Jesus, for the joy set before him. The joy set before him was his focus. That was his focus. What did he do? For the joy set before him, he what? Endured. He persevered. Very connected with the James chapter 1 scripture. He persevered. He endured. What was the joy set before him? 
That's a great question. What is this joy? Well, it's actually in the verse. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's a process. Scorning his shame. Kind of like, hit me with your best shot. Right? And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was his joy? It was getting back to the Father. Taking his rightful place once again. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. I am going, can you you remember on the cross? Father, Father. He cried out. Remember in the garden when he said, let this bitter cup pass away from me? He knew. He knew what he was going to endure. The word joy in the actual Greek language that it was written in, it actually refers to a specific joy, which in the context of what we read makes perfect sense because Jesus is actually compared to a runner, right? Run the race with perseverance. So he's compared to a runner, setting his sights to the finish line. What was the finish line? The joy set before him. In order to get to that finish line, to the joy set before him, to getting back to heaven next to his father, reseat himself on the throne, he had to go through the cross. He had to go through that agony. He had to go through that pain. He had to face it head on. The finish line was being with the father. You know, if you've done any competitive running... You know exactly what that feels like. Because Jesus ran his race, fulfilled his goal set before him. He found no pleasure in the process. The anguish and the pain was a lot even for the Son of God to endure. But he did it. He did not get out of the race. He drank the bitter cup. And he went all the way. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, because he knew that he would regain his seat at the right hand of God, as we read. I remember when I ran the first marathon that I ran, it was like, how am I going to run 26 and a lot of people say it's 26 miles. No, it's not. It's 26.2 <laughs> miles. That point two is, it was a death of me on the first one. But you know what? You have to train. And in order to actually be prepared for that race, You have to train well. If not, you will not make it. Am I right, Michael? You run a few, right? Jesus ran the race. He had to go through the anguish where, you know, if I'm running, I can take a jelly bean that gives me a little caffeine and and a little extra, you know, or goo or whatever it is that, that, that you like to run with. But you know what? Jesus never had any of those. He had to endure the cross all the way to the end. Every drop of his blood that was spilled was for your salvation and my salvation. We needed Jesus to do that. He did that for us. And so it goes to me that the joy in the context that we put our complete focus and our attention before it becomes a pleasure of the great outcome. Let me, refer, let me say this again. Joy in the context of what we put our complete focus and attention on has to come before the pleasure of the outcome. So I'm running and I'm thinking, i got to finish 26 miles. How am I going to get there? I have no idea. Because I had never done it before. I did not know the anguish and the agony and the physical pain that I would feel and hitting the wall a few times um, and needy stitches to repair my head. No, never mind. You know, you hit the wall. Never mind. 
when we put our focus and our attention on God, oftentimes the joy has to come before we actually see the benefit at the end. If you wait for the end to get the joy, you will have missed the process. Are you with me? I don't like the process. I wanted to have, you know, I, I remember running and I saw somebody with orange slices. And, and I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I, like, I went and grabbed as many orange slices as I could. And I'm like devouring them as I go. I'm like, oh, finally, a little food in my belly. You know, I've been running almost for four hours. I'm like, I'm exhausted. I hit the wall a few times already. You're like, give me some food right now. There was joy even in that, believe it or not. And you know what? Trials are very much the same. We have to learn to find the silver lining in the midst of the trial, to find joy in the midst of the trial, and not wait until the end. Because we will have skipped the whole process that we're going through. And let me tell you, the process is hard, but God is blessed as we acknowledge him in the process. Let me conclude by saying this. What is your focus on? Is it spending your life from one fun and happy moment to the next? Or is it setting your heart on God, putting your focus on serving God, utilizing what he has given you, your talents, your abilities, for his glory and not just for fun. I can answer for me, but I can't answer for you. You're the only one that has the answer for yourself. But let's all remember that we have one life. We have one shot at this. And we got to make a count. And in order to make a count, we really need to desperately all have a divine perspective as we go through life. That doesn't mean quitting your job and getting into the ministry tomorrow morning. But it does mean placing your focus on God. Every situation, every circumstance, facing it with God. Placing your focus on God, your relationship with Him, loving Him, serving Him, worshiping Him, the very basic things of life. You know what? We have a tendency to complicate Christianity to a degree that it is absolutely ridiculous. And all that God is looking for is for us to love Him, to honor Him, to be in relationship with him, to accept his love and not reject him. No, you don't have to leave your job and begin the ministry. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can be a better father, a better husband, a better friend, you can be a, a stronger witness for Jesus, sharing his love with others. You can be a good co-worker. You can be a good friend. Do what you can with what you have, and God will bless it. And you will find joy. See, that's the whole thing, guys. We've got it upside down. We go through difficulties and we can't do anything because we feel like, how can I do anything to serve God? How will, can I even read this, the Bible, the scriptures? He won't accept me. I'm going through all of these trials and my mind is all over the place. And I just, I, how can I talk to God? He knows what I'm really thinking. And some days I'm like, oh. And so we get away from actually spending time with him. Rather than running towards Him, we run away from Him. Rather than running into the house of God, we stay at home and relax. Rather than reading the Bible, we end up watching Netflix. 
Rather than spending time with family, we go and spend time with our buddies. And that's not the way that God has actually ordained it for us in order to experience the joy that He wants us to experience. Can I tell you this today? Try joy. Try connecting with the Father. Try in the midst of the most difficult times of your life. Try connecting with Him. I promise you, I promise you, God will bless you. He will guide you. He will lead you into steps that you have not thought for yourself because you are so focused on you. Like, how am I going to get out of this mess? Trust Him to help you get out of your mess. And I promise you, it will happen. Remember, joy is a result of what you focus on. Ask yourself the question, what am I focusing on today? Hey, thank you for watching the Sermon of the Week. We pray that you were blessed by it and you felt prompted to act upon what the Spirit of God was saying to you. If you live in the Charlotte area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at one of our weekend gatherings. That way you can find out more about our church family and what we value most. We encourage you also to give to our ministry so that we might continue spreading the gospel of Jesus to our city and throughout the world. To do so, you simply go to missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Lastly, I would encourage you to check out the remaining content on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way you will receive all of the reminders for fresh content that we put out. Have a wonderful rest of your day. May God bless you and thank you again for watching this week's message.